Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, and today we got kind of a mixed bag for you. We got some good news, we got some bad news, and some kind of in-between news. And since I've been told that the best way to deliver bad news is to get it out of the way, that's where we're going to be starting with the latest data from the New York Federal Reserve looking at consumer inflation expectations. I bet you, or I dare you to say that three times fast. It's not as easy as it sounds. And not surprisingly, the news is not good. This is, of course, looking at the August data. And we've been told by, well, mostly Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve that inflation is transitory and that don't worry, this inflation that we're seeing is going to dissipate. It's going to go away and everything's going to be fine by 2022, maybe mid-2022, maybe 2023, but don't worry, it's not going to last. I guess no one believes him because inflation expectations for a year from now increased 0.3 percentage points to 5.2%. That is the 10th consecutive monthly increase and a new series high, 5.2%. Now, when it comes to the median inflation expectations at a three-year horizon, that also increased by 0.3 percentage points to a new series high of 4%. I mean, that's just nuts. I mean, we haven't seen like 2% inflation (laughs) in what, like 20 years? And now all of a sudden, everyone's projecting 5% year over year and 4% over the next three years. I don't think they're buying Jay Powell's arguments. I don't think I don't think he's selling that argument very well. I got to tell you, and when you look at the individual data, it it actually gets worse. It it gets worse. The biggest jump would be rents. Consumers expect rents to jump ten percent year over year, followed by medical care. They expect that to jump nine point seven percent. Gasoline nine point two percent, and food seven point nine percent. The only data that I could find that was somewhat, I guess, positive in some way is uh, home prices. According to the survey, median year ahead home prices uh, changed slightly, it decreased slightly to 5.9% from 6% in July. That was the third month of declines. So at least people think housing prices are going to maybe not be so uh, inflated. (laughs) But that's, that's really about it. Uh, Consumers expect earnings growth to fall 0.4% to 2.5%, but they are slightly optimistic about household income. So I'm not sure how that works. I guess maybe government transfers, but it's kind of weird that people are like, yeah, yeah, earnings are going to fall, but household incomes are going to go up. They projected that household incomes would increase 0.1 percentage points to 3%, which is a new series high. So I guess they assume that the government payments are going to continue, which is kind of the problem. I mean, that's, that's one of the arguments as for why we're seeing this just rapid inflation. As Milton Friedman famously said, inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. When there is too much money in the system, you will get inflation. Now, it doesn't always mean that too much money is going to create inflation. In fact, people have been arguing for a decade now that we've been pumping money into the system and you know the inflation is eventually going to kick in. Well, finally, here it is. But it's always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. It is always caused by too many dollars chasing too few products. And right now we have the worst of both worlds. We have way too many dollars 
And because of all the supply chain disruptions, way or not even close to enough products. So it's the worst of both worlds. And no one is buying Jerome Powell's argument. I might be one of the only holdouts. I'm thinking if we can fix the supply chain issues and get more products out there, it will deal with this inflation. But um, yeah, I guess I'm the only one. <laughs> Me and Jerome Powell are the holdouts. I mean, I still think there's going to be inflation. I just don't think it's going to be that high. I think we're going to get back down maybe maybe four, maybe three, somewhere around there. If we get the supply chain issues taken care of. And that's a big if, because I don't even, it seems like every day they're getting worse. I've been hearing horrible things about, you know, meat shortages and what could be coming down the pipe. So yeah, it seems like things are getting worse, not better. And so that number could probably move higher. We will keep an eye on it. Uh, Before we get to the good news, I guess we'll start with kind of the middle ground. And this is a middle ground because it deals with home prices, which as we talked about many times here on the pod, home prices go up. Great if you're a home buyer, not great if you're someone who wants to buy a home. And if you are a wannabe home buyer, I have some good news. Bidding wars appear to be slowing down. In fact, not only are they down from their peak, but they are down from the same time last year. This according to Redfin's latest monthly report, which showed that 58.8% of home offers written by Redfin Redfin agents in August face competition. This was a record low for 2021. It's funny, 58% of home offers faced a competition. So we're still above that 50% threshold, but a record low for the year. Bidding wars in August were down from the 74.3% peak that we saw in April, and like I said, was lower than last year when it was 59.4%. Nicole Dedge, a Redfin real estate agent in Orlando, Florida, said buyers are getting more selective. She said, quote, sellers are still pricing their homes very high, but a lot of buyers have had enough and are no longer willing to pay the huge premiums they were six months ago. Instead of 25 to 30 offers on a turnkey home, we're now seeing five to seven. So we're still seeing a competitive market. So if you are a seller, it's still a seller's market, but it is kind of slowly, maybe we're gonna see a transition. But remember, this is also dependent on where you are from a geographical standpoint. For example, I am out of Wilmington, North Carolina, and North Carolina still smoking hot (laughs) with regards to this housing market. In fact, the highest bidding war rate in the top 48 metro areas was in Raleigh, North Carolina, 86.7% of offers written by a Redfin agent faced competition in August. I mean, that's that's big from the national average. Uh, the other top five included San Francisco, San Jose was at 70.7%, Tucson, Arizona, 70.5%, Cincinnati, 70.4%, and Salt Lake City rounded out the top five at 68.1%. So, I mean, just look at that. The second highest is at 70.7%. That is how hot Raleigh's housing market is. I mean, it's not only number one. I mean, it's number one by far. It's like Tiger Woods, 2000 Pebble. It's that much further than the rest of the field. Crazy, crazy number one position, uh, especially when looking at the national average. I mean, almost 30 points higher than what's happening on the national scene. So the good news is it's still a good time to be a seller, but we may finally see 
a equilibrium reached. And it should be noted, and I have this in the Goodreads section of the companion newsletter available at marketsandmortgages.com, but it's an article from Fortune in which they talk about how bidding wars could bidding wars could slow even more because we're going to see some homes as these distressed homeowners leave these forbearance programs, they're going to have to make a decision. And a lot of them may think about selling their homes. So we could see a kind of flood of homes enter uh, these inventories across the country uh, or help with inventory levels across the country. And hopefully that will also slow bidding wars and get to a more uh, stable place when it comes to the housing market. But that's all speculative. I mean, we could see some people who stay in their homes, they're able to work a loan out um, with their company and find a way to reorganize the loan or find a loan that fits better for them. And they stay in the home and they we don't see more inventory. So right now it's just a guessing game and we will see what happens. And speaking of loans, let's end with some good news. And that is rate locks were up slightly in August thanks to an increase in cash out refinance activity that according to the latest monthly report from Black Knight, rate locks for purchases were were down 0.8% and rate term refinances were up 0.5%. So they uh, were unchanged statistically, basically canceling each other out. So why the number rise? Cash out refis were up 7.6%, which of course helped keep the overall late, uh, rate lock volume in positive territory. Cash out refis are now up 41% over the last three months and nearly 30% since the same time last year. In fact, these cash out uh, activity was enough to push the overall share of refinances back above 50% for the first time since February. Now, Scott Happ, the Black Knight Secondary Marketing Technologies president, said that the growth in cash-out refis shouldn't be surprising, and in fact, there's still room to grow. He said in a statement, quote, we've now seen cash-out activity increase for three consecutive months and with 173000 in equity available to the average homeowner with a mortgage and home prices still climbing, there is still room in the market for growth. Now, a lot of people are probably going to freak out. And I, when I saw the number, I went, uh-oh, here we go again, right? Because that's what led to 2008. Everyone doing cash out refis, maxing out the equity in their homes, and then taking turning that money around and buying something stupid like a boat. <laughs> it's a depreciating asset. Or they go buy another home with a subprime rate and just, it. oh no. That's when I first saw that. But here is the good news, at least from my perspective. So one, we're not even talking about close to the level activity that we saw in 2008 with regards to cash out refis. Cash out refis were actually pretty low numbers. And so these jumps are probably getting them back to a more normalized number. And considering how much equity is out there, that number probably should rise. But yeah, one, there is a lot of equity. We're not talking about people tapping out equity in their homes. These people aren't doing 100% financing when they do these cash out refis. They are keeping a lot of equity in the home. So that's the important difference between what's happening now and 2008. But another big difference, credit scores. The average credit score held firm at 731, which is always something that you want to see. I mean, we're not talking once again about subprime borrowers who are doing cash out refis. We are talking about people who have a ton of equity in their homes. They have high credit scores and a lot of them are probably using that money because I mean, 
at the end of the month, according to this report, we're looking at 3.05% mortgage rates. That was what people were getting at the end of August. And if you're someone, <laughs> it's like borrowing money for free. Why would you not take advantage of that? And so, yes, if, if this number starts to skyrocket and we're talking in October about these September numbers and they are just through the roof and everyone's starting to do cash out refis and we see the credit score start dropping, yes, then maybe we can start saying, uh-oh, <laughs> we got to keep an eye on this. But right now, I don't think there's any cause for concern. Right now, we're going to keep an eye on it though. Definitely. We'll talk about it again, but right now we got to go. You guys enjoy your Tuesday. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.